Hey guys, thanks for listening to The Watch. Today, Andy and I were joined by Katie Crutchfield from Waxahachie. It was awesome to hang out with her for a while. Before that, we talked about last night's episode of Game of Thrones, episode three. And then after Katie took off, we talked about Twin Peaks. There's also ample discussion of the beef between The Strokes and Ryan Adams, because Andy and I are nothing if not on brand. Enjoy the episode. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you're like me and you're not so great at planning ahead, you have to try Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight is an app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute, up to seven days in advance. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or indulging in a little staycation. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So what are you waiting for? Get in on these killer last minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am the editor at TheRigger.com, and joining me in the studio, strung out on lasagna, it's Andy Greenwald! How can we even record our podcast right now? News is coming fast and furious, We Chris. like to keep the headlines at the top Listen. of the show. Scaramucci, the fire Festival yeah. of communications directors, yeah, out! That was great joke. Thank you. You just summarized... So many good stories. Let's go out like heroes. <laughs> Two, we got friend of the pod, hashtag not really, Ryan Adams. Yeah. Just throwing darts. So here's, Amanda brought this up to me, Amanda Dobbins, yeah. co-host of Jam Session. Yeah, I was just getting into it today. I love uh, it. Brought this up to me where she was like, did Adams not see vultures? It was, let's break it down. Ryan Adams has been on a tweet storm today about members of the Strokes. Well, well for, he began the where day. He has that shit that makes your soul burn slow <laughs> for Albert Hammond Jr. <laughs> Not just that. He said he said to Julian Casablancas, who got you strung out on lasagna, though? Because he had been lasagna, accused of getting though. Albert Hammond strung out on heroin. Sure. So that's, a, that's in our buddy Lizzie Goodman's book. Yeah. Meet me in the bathroom. But Ryan Adams is on that Garfield. Meet tip. me in the bathroom. I'm serving lasagna. <laughs> Look. <laughs> Real, real folk rock G's move in silence like lasagna. Chris. What if he fucking makes a record yeah. that's just like him dressed up like Chef Boyardee? Just serving the Italian-American specialties? Casablanca's. yeah. I love it. Oh I love God. it. Italian beef. This is the, these are the stories that matter. Uh, it's Andy and Chris in the morning. Uh, we didn't even talk about how he started the day by insta, insta-ing a photo of him and his ex-wife Mandy Moore. I can, I can tell it. Zach Mack is like, guys. Okay, look, let's it's get... It's Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. It's The Watch. We're part of the Ringer Podcast Network. The Morning Network. Zoo. We're here to talk to you about Game of Thrones because that's what we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also going to talk about Twin Peaks and then later in the show... I'm excited about this. We are joined by one of our favorite current... I mean, favorite current songwriters? Songwriters. No caveats. Katie Crutchfield from Waxahachie is going to be joining Very us. Very excited about this. Uh, I want to ask her, because she she's a Mad Men fan. Madman. <laughs> yeah, she mm-hmm. likes television. Um, but we were just so enamored by this beef between the <laughs> Strokes excited. and Ryan Adams. I feel like I'm like Funk Flex <laughs> back in 2002 or something. Listen, we people don't realize this. They know that we're friends. So a they while know ago, that we're... just so people know, a while ago. <laughs> you cut this off. Chris no, I'm not, I'm not cutting personal. you off. I want to hear about our friendship, but just so people yeah. understand. Basically, Lizzie Goodman has this book, Meet Me in the Bathroom, in it. Mm-hmm. The members of The Strokes are pretty candid yeah. about what a, you know, uh, herb that Ryan Adams is. Apparently. And how he was just like kind of like a weirdo and then got Albert Hammond allegedly uh, uh-huh. addicted to drugs. And then today, finally... No, he had some stuff to say. He had some stuff ago. before. It was, but it was more like, ah, that's fucked up. I don't know what you're talking about. And now the darts are out. And now he's got bars for them. By the way, <laughs> we have an open mic here in the studio. He's welcome to come drop bars Anytime, here. Anytime, man. But uh, didn't quite make it all the way onto the studio last time he came so, to be on our podcast. That's fun. Anything else you got on your mind? I just want to say, people know that we're friends and we work together. We record a podcast, but during throne season, we are in each other's lives. Like last night. Last night, not even 24 hours ago, we were here recording a television show for Twitter, Talk the Thrones. Mm-hmm. You can watch the replay now. Yeah, and, you can uh, watch it every Sunday after the East Coast Afterwards, you gave me a ride home. I did. Which is very nice. I found out that Chris doesn't just talk the talk. He walks it. Chris was listening to old G-Unit mixtapes. I was trying to get fired up for Thrones. And then Cameron. I started listening to DJ Screw. Yeah. Uh, and you were just like, this is weird. <laughs> well, and then you got out of my car. And I bought milk and beer. But we're spending a lot of time together, so maybe the familiarity is, is getting, is it too intimate for people? It's a little punchy. We'll have to let the, the listeners decide. They're the great barometer. What do they like? What, which, like, how do they like it? Do they like, like us being friendly or us just all business? <laughs> all business, 
Nothing but Westeros takes. Let's okay. get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, Game of Thrones last night, episode three, probably the most action-packed, I guess, uh, episode so far in terms of narrative stuff going forward. The Queen's Justice. Yeah. And um, we lost a queen. Was she ever a queen? Elena? Did um, she ever get up that high? It's interesting. They Can call, you just call yourself a queen of like your hood? It's a great point. She was the queen of thorns. Yeah, but that's right. not that's, really. That's, I guess, what I'm talking about. But she wasn't actually a queen because, as we were reminded last night, yada, you yada. can't really have seven kingdoms with seven kings. It's Seven kingdoms is like the catch all. There's only one yeah, king. A lot, lot of knee bending. A lot of bending of the knee, including Cersei. Um, last night. We talked a lot about this last night on Talk of the Thrones. We got into a lot of like, because there was obviously a lot of. Um, Mythology service going on with the dragons, yeah. meeting John. You know, where are we with the prophecy that Cersei could could eventually die by the hand of her brother, which was alluded to mm. or express explicitly laid out a couple of seasons ago. Which hand? And which hand? Mm. <laughs> um, Andy really did make me break last night with a, with a very funny Jamie joke. But I wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, like sort of more broadly, like some of the themes of last night's episode, because I think we talked a little bit about it last night. But this idea yeah. that uh, we are essentially watching children. I mean, there's been a, a funny mm-hmm. thing with the press run up to this season where you see all these pictures of these people and they were quite quite young when the show started. Yeah. <laughs> even even people like uh, Nikolai and, 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 and Lena, like they, they're younger then. And it's sort of wild to see where these people are arriving and also right. to have the characters on the show so, sort of be explicitly aware of where they are coming from in terms of who their parents were or may have been. Brand Stark um, was playing Pop Warner football in season one. Now he's the starting fullback <laughs> for the New York Jets. <laughs> he's ready to die on the field. That guy plays safety. Um, yeah, what did you think of the thematically? What did you think of last night's episode? Well, it, it's it, this actually ties into a larger point I had about the season so far, which is it's always tricky to play, to, to start uh, diving for for themes on the show. Sometimes they want us to do that. Sometimes they try to make it explicit and try to like work within the confines of an episode, as in the episode is quote unquote about something. Other times, just the sheer magnitude of the plot and this and the work that needs to be done to get people to the places they're going in order to be where they need to be is just overwhelming, and all the unifying themes just sort of fall apart. And I, I say this often. I'll say it again because mostly because they won't talk to me anymore. But Benioff and Weiss said to my face that book the themes are for book reports. They do not really have much faith in that in terms of like lacing their episodes with that. Sure. All of that said, there were a couple heavy underlines last night. Um, one is a current is a is a constant. This idea of who do you put faith in? Do you put faith in yeah, when red I gods the- and many headed gods, or as Daenerys says, I put faith in myself. But the other one, and I think the most interesting one, is the, the one that you're setting up, which is this idea of are we responsible for our parents' sins? Mm-hmm. Uh, what obligation do we have to them? What how, how do we break the cycle or break the wheel, as Daenerys said? Um, one thing that I really liked, and I think it's getting a little bit underserved from the episode, because in the con- the context in which it was delivered was Daenerys and Jon Snow meeting for the first time. Yeah. Like, that happened. That is insane, if you think about it. it was seven years or seven seasons in, six years into a show, um, two of arguably the four major characters had never shared the screen. Um when John said, I, I don't know about those oaths. That's not me. That's not my life. I didn't make those. That's those were somebody else. And that's not even that's not even my family. Yeah, right. Um, is that as you know, this is a line you, you referenced smartly last night on our show, does that make him a revolutionary or a monarch? Right. Which is more valuable to be in this world. And so I like that. And, and I that's like what Cersei and, and uh, the guy from the Iron Bank of Bravos are talking about. It's this idea of like right. who are you gonna invest in? Somebody who's gonna keep the status quo, even if the status quo mm-hmm. is brutal. But is profitable, or are you going to invest in someone who essentially wants to erase or like wipe the the board clean? Th- there is something that the show it achieves sometimes, and I I would imagine that it is a goal of the people who make the show to achieve this, which is really making us feel for the brutality of the world and the stakes of the game that these people are all playing mm-hmm. just to be alive, which is. If you are in the game, then you could lose and you know what that means. So the look on – and Indira Varmo was really good last night in a role that I think has been pretty thankless. Like Ilaria Sand's face when she's being walked through the city streets with her daughter having already seen two of her daughters murdered. On some level, she has to be processing the horror of this moment, 
Because as anyone who's walked those King's Landing streets knows, I know. it is it's not fun. Not a warm welcome. It is not fun. It's I, not, I, I felt, not the Canyon of Heroes. I felt, I, the only thing that I can actually, I can empathize because I, I did attend a number of games at Shea Stadium. In the, <laughs> wearing a Phillies hat. Wearing a Phillies hat, like circa 09, 10. But, uh, well, the world's smallest violin is playing but, for Philadelphia fans. But her face... <laughs> in those scenes has to register that on some level she knew that this was possible. Yeah, this I think was, that's why she was like, kill me immediately. Right, I, because they know I was, that. It was, I, when, when they showed that scene from scenes from last week or previously in Game yeah. of Thrones, I was like, oh yeah, that was really like a Hail Mary. Like, they were definitely not going to just kill you. No. Like, gotcha! It was a nice request, though. <laughs> yeah. But, but for her and also for Olena, I mean... That scene, for me, the and I got into it on Twitter, which is never a good thing to do, probably. But but the the Ilaria Sand uh, Tyene scene did not work for me because those characters were essentially props. Like mm-hmm. they were never given enough runway to become anything. So for them to be brutalized on screen felt very odd and disjointed. And, and it, the show at its worst to me because it was not invested in what it was showing. It, we didn't feel anything. It felt exploitative. Yeah. Um, that the flip side of that is the Olena Tyrell scene. Not only because Diana Rigg is magnificent, but because for however many seasons she's been on the show, she has been playing you know eight dimensional chess or trying to, you know, always with a quip, always with always trying to be one or two moves ahead, um, operating from a position of wealth but not necessarily military might, dealing with the hand she was dealt, which was fraught with problems. Her son was kind of a dum dum. Her grandson uh, was the greatest knight in the realm, but was secretly gay, which is a problem in this world. Yeah. You've seen it. Um, so she was she was in there playing it. And then over the last two years, we've seen everything that she cared about taken from her. And then she had one last thing to play, as we learned in the season finale, which was revenge. And it backfired. Yeah. And so the look on her face is one of acceptance, basically. And that is a... To me, that was almost more horrifying, and it landed more than the Ilaria Sand scene because it was a, it was a the face of someone who played every played as hard as she could and lost in the most excruciating way possible and knew it. Still got Ryan Adams bars at the end, by the way. Yeah, she was like, "By the way, I fed your son poison lasagna." <laughs> yeah, but that's the show at its best to me, and also the show at its worst. I've been asked a couple of times about um, how. The se- the season has also seen a couple of the former villains of the show become essentially heroes. I mean, I don't know that a lot of people consider Jamie a hero, but <laughs> other than you, I think that there's a lot to be. I think a lot of it comes down to the performance, and I think that right now my two favorite performers on the show are uh, Nikolai and Dinklage, in the sense that whatever mm-hmm. scenes that they seem they're in have both a, a degree of frailty and charm. That sometimes is lacking in other scenes, not in like a in a fatal way, but just there's like a, a few scenes that are like people who are really into their own like like I'm on Game of Thrones shit, uh, and it's like a little bit uptight, which is fine. But they have a very natural way of delivering pretty ridiculous dialogue at times, you know. But but also and, selling us on the humanity, of the absolutely, characters. and and the and the uh, the depth of the characters, you know, and like the fact that you can be someone who shoved a kid out a window and threatened to catapult a baby over a castle wall, but also be in this sort of doomed love, like mm-hmm. a, a sexual relationship with your own sister and have that be kind of tragic, but be capable of the kind of generosity sort of in, in his relationship with Brienne and kind of trying to find places where he can be a little less inhumane, if not exactly humane. And and, and it's 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 wild how Olena makes him pay for that. She's like, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna kill me right now," and he's like, "No, no, I I negotiated yeah. down to just poison you." And she was like, "Cool, for your trouble, FYI, I killed your son. Yeah. Let your sister know about that." Yeah, I, I think we we drew a lot of attention. It drew a lot of attention last year. That scene you're referring to with the baby catapulting with Edmure last year, yeah. when Jamie was just like, "I will burn down this entire world for just the person for I care about." Yeah. I think it's fair to say that a majority of the characters on this show have a similar worldview, and it's that's what makes for the thing they the one thing they care about. Nothing else matters. Everyone else is is chattel, basically. Uh, that's what makes Daenerys so much of a revolutionary because she's saying, "I'm better than this. I'm better than this world. I'm not going to burn everyone in the city. I'm going to go about this, the, you know, the more subtle way." And so far, that's catastrophically not working. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is it my imagination, or were earlier scenes of the show? Was there more scenes of a major character interacting with the physical world of the show, but in a non-battle sense? Because I feel like there has been a slight adjustment in the way that they've either been forced to tell it for a variety of reasons or telling the story where it's like 
three three to five characters in a room mm-hmm. or a major set piece, but not like Rob Stark walking through a field and you see kind of like the scope yes. of what's happening. Because I was struck last night when Euron's parading Laria mm-hmm. through King's Landing. I was like, oh yeah, the people in the, like there are people. Yeah, the, and yeah. I do think that that has changed. I'm sure for a variety of reasons. I would imagine, I imagine most of them scheduling are budgetary. And, and, yeah, right. I mean, there weren't that many battles in the beginning. Blackwater was a huge turning point, and then you know, every so often, and then there would be more. And I kind of missed the middle ground. But a yeah, we we would see Rob in the field with his soldiers, or we would see you know Arya and Bravos or whatever. I think that's purely budgetary. I think yeah, it's like, like even when Tywin, like the, you think about how we met Tywin, and he's skinning the the hog in the tent or whatever. What was the line? The the, the stag. Yeah, but d- but d- what was stag, the line yeah. about you know? Tyrion, like the the world is the, the the story of the world is people in rooms talking. Yeah, and that's and I think that I I still love that about the show. It's I just point. I noticed I, it that there was like it's it's really like it's threes or layups right now, and that's good. I mean, like I think that 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 works, but I it, I do miss sometimes. Arya bumping into that troop of guy soldiers on the road and tavern scenes and just scenes where there's like random people kind of in the mix. I, I love the I love the common man. Yeah, in this world, but it's um, like the shot like in the Citadel. It's all Jorah, Sam, and Broadbent, and we're not getting a ton of like oh, and then like, you know you, I, don't, you don't see many corners cut, but I think you you found one example of how yeah. they are doing it. I, I something else you said I wanted to, to go back to about the performances. Dinklage was so good last night that, yeah, like I said, I was going to say Tyrion won the week, even though everything, every choice he made was the wrong one. Um, it, it's interesting to see, and this is both of this is a partly because of the character, but I also wonder if it's because of the performer. Where you said you, you referred to, to performers on the show who are really locked into being that that character yeah. and don't play well as well with others. I mean, I, to my mind, you're talking about Kit Harrington and Amelia Clark. That the scene, it was interesting, the scene between the two of them was so less vibrant than the scene where Davos and Tyrion were being their hype men and speaking for them. And I think that's two things. I do, I do wonder if it's the performance thing. Kit Harrington is so dialed in to being this brooding uh, warrior leader that it's hard to suddenly be in the South and have yeah. it find, a different, find a different vibe. But it's also... You know the the Han Solo problem, right? Like like Luke and Leia yeah, yeah. aren't that interesting without Han Solo there, just cracking lols. Like you need those other characters around them, and so going into a world of the show where Daenerys and Jon Snow matter more for who they are and their interaction with each other is a little bit less compelling. Sorry to say, than when their second secondary people around them are the ones actually advancing the plot, and they're more the figureheads for the bigger plot. I mean, they're not CGI. I, I feel like I'm really shitting on them as performers now, no, which I don't I mean they, to, but to, they are totemic on the show now, yes. like the Night King is. They're iconic, yeah. And what it's, I'm still more interested in those around them. The Onionites. The yeah. Onionites. Okay. Get them onions. Uh, let's take a quick break, hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back with Katie Crutchfield from Waxahachie. Do you think she watches Twin Peaks, or are we going to do it at the end? Uh, we could ask her. We're going to find out, guys. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by HBO's Room 104. From creators and executive producers Mark and Jay Duplass comes a new anthology series called Room 104, airing Fridays at 11.30 p.m. on HBO. Set in a single room of an average American motel, each of the 12 episodes in this season of Room 104 tells the story of the different assorted characters who pass through it, all of them being everyday people striving for connection and meaning. With performances by James Vanderbeek, Jay Duplass, Orlando Jones... Each episode plays like a mini-movie, ranging from comedy to drama to horror, and offers a new discovery from one week to the next. Hence, the tone, the characters, and the era change as well. One Room Infinite Possibilities. See what's going on in Mark and Jay Duplass's upcoming anthology series, Room 104, Fridays at 11.30 p.m. on HBO. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Simply Safe. As you scramble around this summer, don't forget it's especially important to ensure that your home is protected because summertime is the biggest season for burglaries. The FBI and the Department of Justice see this trend every year. More empty homes, no one's around, and the burglars take advantage. That's why Simply Safe Home Security is having a massive summer sale going on right now. They do this every year, but this is their biggest one ever. It's $100 off the special summer package. Simply Safe is a fully equipped home security system. It's won tons of awards and provides full home protection with 24-7 alarm monitoring and police dispatch. Better yet, there's no landline, which means a burglar can't disarm your system by snipping a wire. Here's the best part. You get all this protection without having to sign a long-term contract. There are no lock-ins, no hidden fees, no nothing. 
This sale is for a limited time. Go and get $100 off the special summer package. Visit simplysafe.com, S-I-M-P-L-I.com slash watch. That's $100 off simplysafe.com slash watch. Okay, we're back. Chris, this is exciting. Uh, we are about to be joined by uh, one of our favorite musicians, Katie Crutchfield of Waxahachie, who made an album this year, 2017, called Out in the Storm that I think is a monster. Yeah, in it's fact, like, I was getting killed for it because I got an advance and I kept I couldn't not talk about it before I just people wanted, could hear I'm it. A, I'm a populist and I want to wait for the people. I want to listen to music with the people, not in your elite ivory tower. But in That's all fair. seriousness, it's like a consensus, consensus album of the year contender. And this was really fun for us because Katie is originally from Birmingham, Alabama, but moved a number of years ago to a fine city on the East Coast known as Philadelphia and is part of this vanguard of incredible bands that has taken up root. Basically, a lot of them who've chosen to live there aren't from there originally in our city. And we wish that this scene was happening when we were there. Yeah, we talked to Uh, her about Philly, about Birmingham, about her new album and about her relationship with her sister Allison. Which one is Noel and which one is Liam? Yeah, who's in an awesome band called Swearin. And so she plays in Waxahachie. And she also... uh, told us that she's been on tour since March and will be on tour until October, so you still have a chance yeah, to keep see an eye out. Waxahachie in your town. We are so happy that Katie joined us. Let's get into our interview. Okay, we are so excited because we are joined now by our exclusive podcast guest, <laughs> Katie Grudgefeld of Waxahachie. Welcome. Thank you for having me. We're so happy you could be here. We, I guess we're still negotiating your exclusivity yeah. to yeah. this podcast. Well, yeah, we'll talk about it off the mics. Can yeah. we revisit at the end? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, My manager's going to kill me when he hears this. <laughs> oh, I have to talk to you about your manager. I because know, man, we just had Marin. I, <laughs> do, do you know this? It. I do know this. He told me to he talk knows. to you about it. Yeah. Chris doesn't even know this. What? I went to high school with Katie's manager. No way. Yeah. That's not the hottest way to begin an interview, so maybe we could circle back. But <laughs> Yeah, totally. He Philly private school mafia. <laughs> yeah, that's when right, Quaker school mafia. Me, um, when, I, when we were talking about doing this podcast, he was like, and little known fact, I went to high school with Andy. Yeah. Little known fact, well known fact <laughs> over here. One of my fondest memories from high school was the day that uh, my friend and I brought in our copy, I think maybe shared copy of Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style, which Why was, was released shared? that day. I feel like... I don't know if we both could afford it or something. Like we, we, we would take turns. We took turns. Yes. <laughs> I, I feel like we went to like wall to wall sound and music together and like somehow bought one copy you know, of the that disc. Never... And 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 Rennie made a comment that was so perfectly pitched. He had a very distinctive voice. I hope mm. he still does. Yes. Where he, was like, where he basically said, doggy style, huh? <laughs> and I, to this day, I don't know if he was like pro or con. I love this story. Was, was he pro? We still don't know. Yeah, that's the thing about Rennie. He's he's really amazing. He's very stoic. Um, So I think that, I'm going to say pro. Okay, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna, so too. I don't want to speak for him, but I, I'm going to say pro. What was great about him is that he never showed his cards. I didn't know he liked music. Until I suddenly discovered his name in the credits of all these incredible bands coming out of yes. our hometown. That was but, so much we actually want to talk to you about. So how long have you lived in Philly? I've lived in Philly for about five years. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I'm actually sort of like thinking about making my grand exit pretty soon. Really? But I, yeah. I, I really want to go back south. I'm from the south. Yeah. And so I kind of want to go back there. But um, yeah, I I love it there. I mean, there's so much good music and it's just really conducive to that. This is so exciting slash fascinating for us because we were not Philly by choice. We are right. Philly by birth. Yeah. We're okay. proud of that fact. Right. But I do think that is it okay if I speak for you? Sure, man. <laughs> that the city that the we came from and we left in the mid nineties was not this bastion of exciting <laughs> rock and roll and culture and art making that it is today. Yeah. So give the pitch for those because we are always defending Philly from our memory of it and going back is fantastic. Totally. But as someone who was not from there why Philly? This is for the tourism board. Why <laughs> right. Philly? Why Philly? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. And just I'm going to do a quick sidebar and then I'll go right back to your question. Um, I, She's done podcasts before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from 
Birmingham, Alabama. And it I'm, I'm having that experience now where like it is now like become kind of like, a, I mean, not nearly like Philly, but just sort of like a, a, a cool place to be. And people are moving there and like people are making music there and art there. And it's like it was not that for me growing up. So yeah. that's, I kind of want to go back. But I, I'm fascinated with people who go there by choice okay, because yeah. I was born there. Um, for me with Philly, I moved to New York from the South and I really just wanted to like play as much music and make as much music as possible. But in New York, you have to work all the time. It's yeah. so expensive and so like, you know, weirdly just like exhausting, competitive, like with music stuff anyway. So um, a lot of people were sort of like sort of like traveling and going to Philly because it's it, it's cheaper and and your quality of life is just a little bit like better. You have like bigger, mm-hmm. there's bigger houses in West Philly. Everyone has a basement and everyone's like practicing mm-hmm. and stuff in the basement. As far as like from the music standpoint, it just makes more sense. You can work a little less. You can work, like ma- make music more. And It's uncanny though. I feel like every band that I discover these days is living there or not even from there anymore because growing up, I mean, no disrespect to the Hooters, but that was pretty much, that was like, yeah, there was like, I remember when Russian I was living in right. Boston, right, right. like I would go to first like Unitarian church shows when I would come Phil, back yeah. and I was like, is this, was this here when I was in high school? But like, it's all, it's the thing about you're saying about Birmingham is like when you're in that y- young, you don't really see it, right? You right. just see like as far as like your parents, how, you know, like or your totally. school experience or whatever. So I don't know, but like. It definitely blows my mind every time it's I go bl- back there. I mean, Philly is like it has like it's popping off there. I mean, yeah. it's crazy. Everyone's moving there. Like it's it's a whole thing. I mean, it, I remember I lived there for like a year or two, and then all of a sudden it was like, especially from like coming from like a DIY sort of touring circuit. So like I would always get in touch yeah. with you know this person mm-hmm. in San Francisco and this person in Columbus, Ohio, and this person in Texas, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're all just moving to Philly. <laughs> like it just like really <laughs> felt like that. Like so, I feel like that it's it's it really has just been a thing lately. I can't really tell you why. I, I think the main thing is that it's like a snowball effect. Like all these yeah. people were kind of coming from New York and Boston and D.C. even like just like expensive East Coast cities were all kind of going to Philly and then yeah. now everybody that, wants to be in Philly. That's like when my parents moved downtown in 2010. That's right. They were like, you know, it's the, the, the cutting edge of culture once yeah. they got down there. <laughs> The music um, followed. How do you yeah. feel about the West Coast? You've been out here. You played on Saturday in L.A. Do you, mm-hmm. Are you a L.A. fan? I'm a huge fan of L.A. Yeah, it's great. I, I don't think I would ever live here. This feels like a place that people are really flocking yes. to. Um, I don't think I would ever live here, but I really love visiting. Um, it's great. And, yeah, of all the like major cities in the, in the U.S. like right now, it's probably one of my favorite ones to visit. How much of an effect on your um, geographic location decision-making is uh, Wawa and Hoagie Fest? Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> because it's you know I, I struggle out here without Hearst potato chips. I mean, it's there's there's certain things. I wish I brought you some. I would, I wish I had thought to do that. Um, that Chris yeah. gave me some for my birthday. Yes. To me. That is true friendship. Yes, that is. Um, I love Wawa. I live like right around the corner from when I go like almost every day. <laughs> this, is, this is great. I feel like regionally this is going to go very well this podcast, but we should probably talk a little music. Okay. Um, <laughs> Despite living in one of our favorite cities, you also made one of our favorite records of the year. Um, out in the Storm is out now. It is truly an amazing album. Um, I wanted to go a little bit macro about it because I think about this often. We get these records as like finite documents. When I got this record, I you know, considered it as of a piece. It felt of a piece. It felt all the songs fit into each other. It works so spectacularly as an album, which is something that I feel like um, I miss a lot. I don't. I, the world has maybe gone more streaming, more singles oriented. This Play, is a, playlist, playlist stuff oriented. Like that, yeah. This is an album that I love to listen to, start to finish. But that's how we got it. I was wondering how, what your path towards it was. Is this the sort of thing where you had a sense of a vibe or a tone for a record, or was there one song that opened a door where you found? the other songs waiting for you? That's a good question. I I feel like, well, first I want to say that I really, the way that I approach making records is like, it's, it, it's like the album as a concept. It's sort of like I'm, at, okay. I'm at always at some sort of phase with the album and I always see the album as its own thing and like don't really see it as individual songs that much. Um, but I feel like, it's hard to say. I mean, it's like the way that it all came about, it, it really felt so fluid. It was like, I wrote it all really fast and it's kind of hard to remember like, a moment in which I, because because also when I was demoing, the songs did sound really different. I think the the reason that it sounds so, that like sonically it's so cohesive is because I play with my live band and we just have like a thing that we do, you know. Yeah. And it kind of just that's what made the record sort of have that sort of um, you know cohesiveness. But I think that 
Yeah, in the past, I've made records with like other musicians and like just sort of like it sounds a little bit choppier. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, I, I I don't have a good answer for that because I feel like it it really just all felt like so fluid, and then the end result well, just made it. But it's, it feel, oh, yeah. it's just interesting to me because I think obviously musicians differ and albums differ, but it's always a question to me whether it's the artist is thinking of it as a cohesive statement, like wanting to write a novel or just a collection of short stories, basically. Right. And the feeling of this album is very much of an album. That totally. it, That they, uh, I don't want to say characters, but the, the the emotions that can run straight from one song into another and feel like they're speaking, that, that there's a dialogue between them. That's interesting, yeah. I, well, I will say that usually when I make records, like in the past, especially my, like, the two b- before this one, I feel like it was really important to me to have every single song be sort of, about different things and to kind of cut, cut that up in a way that and, and uh, like the subject matter, but then also like make every single song sound super different. I really like like a guided by voices record or something. That's yeah, like yeah. really was like I always wanted to do that because I really liked the challenge of getting the like the um, sequence right and all of that stuff. And with this album, I noticed that there was like the, a similarity, even just like some, like half of the songs in the same key, like things like that, where it's just sort of like wow, these sort of really are like clicking with each other and I, I just leaned into that more whereas in the past I've really tried hmm. to lean away from that but that's the cool thing about like the clip you're working at where like you've been putting out records pretty consistently like what like once every 15 every 18 year. months yeah. yeah right and so it's like you can do B thousand and alien lanes and they can feel kind of I mean this feels like super cohesive this record does to me but like I love that idea of what you're saying of like just that that old GBV feeling of like, these are the songs that we recorded over two weeks and that's an album and now we'll just go to work on another one pretty soon, you know? Totally, yeah. I mean, like having that sort of like polarization, like just all those the different songs that are just like, whoa, like just listening to it and not knowing what you're going to get next, that sort of unpredictability about it, like that like really just like excited me creatively. I always wanted to do that, but I also feel like I did that a lot and now I kind of want to do something sure. else. It's in, in the same vein of that, like I just wanted to like, do something like yeah, a little bit different. There's you know? like a music nerd thing that I really appreciate here where it, it feels like this, the track listing was considered. I'm always a fan of track two. Uh, I'm always a fan of track two. I'll put it there. Yeah. But particularly when track two is a change-up pitch, mm. like we get the fastball and then you come in with eight ball and it's a completely different vibe. Yeah. And there's such a confidence in that saying, well, yeah, I did this and now we're going to take it here. Right. And it, it it's like settling in for the longer drive. Yeah, no, totally. That's really true. And I actually appreciate that because with this record, I usually, usually in the past, I, I'm like so particular about track listing. And I had, I really struggled with this one. And I, I, I tried it a million different ways. I couldn't find the right, the, just the right order. And John Agnello, the producer, was like, try it in this order. I have an order for you. But I was like insistent on 8-Ball being the second song. That was the, my only thing was I was like, that needs to be, that needs to be right. Because I think Never Been Wrong, I always knew he wanted that to be first. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the Nabal needs to be second. That was actually me. I'll take credit for it. You should. <laughs> there's there's an immediacy to the whole thing that is echoed in the the title of the album. Because I, I when I first started listening to it, I realized I was glossing over the name of the album, and I kept thinking it was um, like a back. It, I almost thought the idea was that you were not you were no longer in the storm. Mm. But no, you're actually out in I'm it. I'm out in this it. Is, these, these, this is these are songs almost. They are of the moment songs. They are not being processed later. They're not re- right. recovery songs. They're un, they're well, it's still ongoing. Absolutely, yeah. And and just that concept of like. It, this thing is happening, but like it will end. Is the thing that I like about it. It's sort of hopeful. It's sort of like okay, this is there's chaos happening, but like the chaos has an expiration date. It will end. I think there's a couple of. I, I mean, I don't know if in your mind you're like there are different narrators for these songs and that they shift at all, but there is like. It's pretty sardonic in places. Like, it's very funny. Mm-hmm. I, th- I found, like, actually, which is, like, it makes any of the, like, the subject matter feel different because, like, you have, like, these great jokes in there or, like, wordplay or puns or whatever totally. that make it kind of, like, lighten it up a little bit. I always, I really enjoyed that part People of it. People keep saying that to me, and it, it was not intentional. It, it was, was not intentional. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I love that. I love, like, that people, like, can see the humor in it because there is something, I mean, there's something just, like, sort of, like, messy and like off the rails about some of the songs but so, so, like, so it's like Elvis Costello right like, right yeah you know, exactly like, where it's like wow that's really funny it's also just awful that, that somebody is feeling that way you know like, yeah totally and I you know combat some of the awfulness with humor just typically so if that seeped into the lyrics then yeah, that, no, yeah. I, I think I speak for uh, many recovering former hopefully former passive aggressive indie boys that <laughs> very happy that they're on blast yes I feel like it's about time that's good that's good I, I, I like that I, that's, that's, that's like not something that's like entered my mind when I'm like, oh wow, if the passive aggressive indie boys do hear this and they're like, hmm, that's, I've done my job. There's something that um, that my wife would always make fun of when we would go, no, let me rephrase this, when I would often drag her to uh, 
indie rock shows in the 90s and she would notice that everyone in the crowd that was a, a male was standing there drumming soulfully on their sternum. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, and then I was like, how dare you as I did it myself. And <laughs> right. I feel like I, I picture that and look back with shame every time I hear, <laughs> hear you me. And I appreciate that. That's good. Great. <laughs> I wanted to ask, I know that asking like what was it, you know, what was an influence on this record is is pretty straightforward, but I love the way this album sounds. So I was kind of curious about um, what you were listening to and being like, that's how I want the guitars or the drums to sound, or this is like the feel I want this record. Was there any records that you were like going back to a lot and mm-hmm. being like, I'm really, I mean, I, cause there's a lot of like, uh, you mentioned guided by voices and right. there's parts of like Sonic Youth Dirty that I kind of feel like it's just like a really cool, I don't know, we grew no, up listening we, to those records, but like it, it, it's not retro. It's just like sonically kind of reminds me of When we got it. this record, I think we both said the same thing before we even processed individual songs. Like I, this is the kind of record that I love. I love the way this sounds. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I would say yes and no. The thing people keep asking me this question, and typically when I make records, I know I keep going back because this making this record really was sort of a different process for me. So I sort of keep holding it up next to like the past. But um, I usually have like obsessive like notes of like, oh, I want like I think there's a song on on my record Ivy Trip where like literally I took like a Nicki Minaj beat and I was like that's the drums and then I was like and this like this like tall dwarfs like Casio tone sound I want that and like things like that I would just like write all these things out like just song by song and have all of these notes when I go in like to record it and with this record I really didn't do that I like I I really tried to you know let my melodies be my melodies. Let my instincts be my instincts. And of course, there's all these, like, you know, I'm a well of just influences, you know, that are always, I'm always thinking about. But I really tried not to do that. And I really tried to lean in with my band and just sort of take their strengths and apply that and make, have us like sort of make a, a new sort of thing. And I also w- really wanted to do that because I was thinking about playing them live. And yeah. I knew they were going to be rock songs. And I was like, I just want to be able to do exactly this live. And I guess like John's made some pretty great records. Uh, so yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you talk about um, the desire to move back to the South, is that for um, personal reasons or musical reasons or artistic reasons? Do you think that there is some unfinished business that you have with your songwriting that you'd like to explore there? I don't know if I feel like I have unfinished business. I, I feel like I um, have always, I mean, it's just sort of like like quiet. I've always sort of thrived in the quiet. I think that that, is something I really want. Like I really want to scale back the um, the next record. I kind of want to do something sort of more solo and like sort of more like folky or something. And I think that like that is like the place to go do that. I think like being in the chaos of like the city and yeah. you know kind of around all of my friends. There's so much stuff happening all the time. I think like I wanted to make this like big loud record. And I think now I kind of want to go and like scale it back a little. I love the way you're talking about it because it suggests a, a, a well-earned confidence in your career that you will have more songs to write and more um, styles to try out and try <laughs> on, you know, that you want to do this next and that's an adventure in a way. Um, we've been talking a lot about how um, just in the sort of, particularly even in the world of rock music at a certain level, it does feel like bands are a little bit trapped. They have to go all out each time. Like this might be my last shot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put everything into this um, time in the studio. And I, I don't know if that always works. You know, obviously some of the greatest records of all time came out of people being like vibing on a thousand different frequencies. This is my moment. Right. But I, I like the idea of it, of it being an ongoing conversation with your muse, with your audience, with the world around you. Yeah. Um, it's a different way to approach it. Yeah. I mean, I've always sort of been a fan of like the slow sort of burn, you know, just like I, I've been writing like and been sort of like go, to go back to like the concept of like the album and like just sort of I'm always at some phase of the concept of the album. I'm always working on one or I just finished one or something like that. And I feel like. Um, I've been doing that since I was like a teenager. Like, so I feel like I, it's just something I'm just going to keep doing. It's just like, I can't imagine not doing it. Even if like, I sort of, you know, don't ever get like my like shot or whatever, you know what I mean? Like you just, even if like tomorrow nobody cares anymore, I feel like I, I made music for nobody for so long (laughs) that I'm like, I'll just probably keep doing that. I mean, you know what I mean? And I also really, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's. I, I like to like challenge myself. I like to try different things, and I feel like I have a lot of different influences and a lot of different. My songs are so simple that like, and that's just always how that they've been. I think they've always sort of like really everything sort of always hinged on the melody. So I think that there's a lot that you can do with that. So you, you talk about moving back south, and I was, and you know, you also talked briefly about um, like your experience on the DIY circuit, and playing house shows and stuff like that. I was wondering if that 
Does that make you a little less enamored or neat, like make the need a little less to feel like I have to be in New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or one of these like major metropolitan areas where there's like some infrastructure of record label? Like, does that stuff even exist? And any more for you, like in terms of like, oh, yeah, like I should probably like go to go to New York so I can play Bowery like once every three months or something like that. Or is it has that changed so much because of the Internet that you can kind of be anywhere? I totally think it's changed so much because of the Internet. I think that like I mean, if I was sort of like a like super like struggling musician or like was still trying to like figure some stuff out and like with like my career. I mean, not that I'm not, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. sort of was like kind of more like starting out. I, I do think that that's kind of important to be kind of where everything's happening. But I think at this point I, I you know, will be in L.A. or New York or whatever for some reason just from like for the band, mm-hmm. you know, either no matter what. So I don't really feel the need to kind of be in the middle of everything because I'm because I'm always traveling and always kind of in the middle of everything. So I really like the idea of, I mean, like to give you an idea, I've been basically with the exception of like a week and a half, I've been on tour since March. I will be on tour till October. What? (laughs) Yeah. I've barely been in Philadelphia. So (laughs) that's kind of how I'm thinking. I'm like, I, when I get home, I kind of just want home to be like a quiet, calm place. And I'm close to my family and everything is just sort of like, you know, chill. And I, you know, you know, I kind of just like that that's really my thinking. That's kind of why I want to do it. None of those things are how I would describe Philadelphia. <laughs> no. oh, close to my family. Close yes, to your but the family. Rest yes. of it. Um, so during all that time on tour, you have I, I know this from from speaking to many bands who are on tour. There's a lot of downtime. Yes. There's a lot of travel and downtime. Mm-hmm. How are you spending this downtime? Are you are you binge watching things? Do you? No, I haven't watched what? TV in so long. It's it's kind of sad. Yeah, I really miss it. <laughs> we were really hoping you could give us some insight into Twin Peaks: The Return. I have not seen a second of it. I that, don't. Actually, you might have the same amount of insight as many yeah, people seriously. who have watched twelve hours of it. It's right. a little inscrutable. <laughs> oh yeah, I um, good to know. Maybe I won't even try. Then. No, no, strong recommend. By the oh, way, okay. <laughs> to yeah. be clear. Okay. Um, yeah, I I feel like. Yeah, I read. We we've been listening to audiobooks. We just finished the one on Jonestown, um, the like new the Jim Jones book yeah. that just came out about Jeff Gwynn. So peppy, a peppy kind <laughs> yeah. of like merry oh, time yeah. on the road. That's good. Oof, yeah, we got to the end, and everyone we were like we were all on the edge of our seats, like it's coming. He's the congressman has landed. You know what I mean? Yeah, and right. we were like it's coming, and then it start like the, all of the like stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but we were yeah. like we stopped at a gas station and like we're like I'm so excited the congressman's there. Like, <laughs> just buy a round of Kool Aid for everybody. Yeah, just like we were like, and then like. <laughs> Did you guys have like honorary Kool Aid? No, like, what? No, I wish that we had. But sorry, this is not funny. This is like so dark. But but once that stuff started happening, we we're like, I, you guys, we got to turn this off. This is too dark. We're like, we've just been like, we've been like driving for like two days through Montana and just like, oh, that sounds cool. really dark. It was yeah. so. Like it, was, of a crime in the case, like Thrones would be like uplifting yeah. if you got to that. Yeah, yeah totally. Well, my family's been watching Game of Thrones, and I, I don't watch it, so I haven't been watching that. But yeah, it's a lot of like, you know. Talking to each other, joking around, and the many inside jokes have happened. Yeah. Do you feel like as you're traveling, or like since you're not located in any one place, are you like as upset? I guess obsessed with the news, or like, have you, are you like really super connected to like the news cycle the way like people I think who are like sitting in front of their computers all day are? Or do you will you go like a couple of days and be like, what happened? Like, yeah, I'm kind of more like disconnected. I'd say. I think, I, think I, I, I try. What do you say? <laughs> I think that's healthier. Yeah, maybe. I, really I think it. I I think that it's so easy on the road to just be to like live inside of your phone because you're mm-hmm. just on. You're mm-hmm. just in the car all day. Just like it's so easy to do that. And so I try really hard to not. I I still do, but I try really hard to put it down as much as I can. So just live in the experience. Sure. You know, it's in like, the Jonestown. Yeah. Yeah. Live in the Jonestown experience. <laughs> do, yeah. Do you do you find that being on the road is conducive to being in touch with yourself and your interactions with people in the world that can fuel songwriting? Or is that quiet time that you're talking about? Is that a recharge for your creative self as well? Do you need to just sort of remember who you are and how you fit into the world and your relationships with people? I think both. I mean, I think that it's interesting. I it really all everything with tour in my experience, it all depends on the, the personalities that are in the van. It really depends on who you're with and where everybody's at. And you like that, a stern cult like presence in the van. <laughs> right? Oh yeah, sort of no, like. we yeah we it's pretty much like definitely cult vibe. We all wear a lot of linen. It's just yeah. very Waxahachie cult. Guiana tour <laughs> yeah. seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I'd say it, it depends. I mean, I, recently earlier this year, I went on tour. 
um, with Kevin Morby, like it was like a solo tour, and it was just there was only five people on the tour. None of us knew each other super well. We all kind of knew each other, and by the end of it, it's like I felt like amazing. I was like, oh my god, like I'm I've pulled myself out of all of these social dynamics that I am around all the time with, like you know, my best friends, my like you know, like boyfriend, like th- things like that. Just kind of getting away from that, and then like kind of just being with new people and new energy. It was like, it really like, there's a lot of self-reflection for everyone on the tour. It's like really kind of a special time. And I kind of feel that way a lot on tour. I think that like you, it's it just feels good to like nurture, you know, your relationships and kind of just like try and like, like my my group is like very like, we, we all just like, really look out for each other and love each other and it's I have I have like engineered this like group yeah. of like positive good people this sounds very healthy yeah it's like, very this surprising is the anti, like everybody else is just like tours so alienating well and, like, to be fair I have been on some doozies so that is one of the reasons <laughs> <laughs> that is one of do the do you re- have a no names dropped legendary tour story you like to share with listeners like, oh my god like, I have so many I don't, we don't have time I have so many <laughs> these are podcasts they're free for them <laughs> <laughs> we can go as long as we want um, yeah I let me think about it. I'm sure that I do. But, um, yeah, I, I think the big reason why my tour, this tour is going so well and everybody's, like, communicating well and, like, looking out for each other and, like, you know, whatever. Like, just we talk about feelings a lot. I think that it's just because I've been on so many horrible well, yeah. tours. Well, how about that? So what is – because who knows? Maybe there are aspiring musicians who listen to our podcast and they're about to go on tour. Maybe they're going to go on tour for the first time. So what are your, Katie's, three – do nots. I can, do not. going I can on jump tour. in with one, and I've never yeah. been in a band. It. I'm excited. Which is that the guys who I lived with in Boston who were in a band yeah. went on tour, and they went to some place in northern Louisiana and came back with scabies. So, Ooh, like, cool. watch yeah. out. So don't get scabies? <laughs> don't get scabies. Don't get scabies. That's a rule for life. That's not tour <laughs> yeah. specific. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. I would say, because um, this is this feeds into that. Um, okay. I would say, like, just take care of your physical self yeah. like as much as you Dermatology can. Dermatology on down. Yeah. Is yeah, like, yeah, like I think that uh, just like get in the van, you know what I mean? Like that mindset of like it's tour, it's we're going yeah. to war, you know what I mean? Like is it's something that I definitely did when I was younger but now I'm like. Did you make people practice on off days like like Greg Ginn? No, I did not do that. But I, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like the, the like we're all just going to pile on like the shittiest van ever and it's just going to be, you know what I mean? And we're going to explode we're in gonna the desert. Eat, yeah, yeah, we're going to eat like gas station burritos and, or like ramen and we're going to like, you know, just save, you know, and I, I know like money is like a whole thing too. That's like you know, but people I think really lean into it. There's like a lot of pride. Yeah, have a salad. Just, yeah, that's have my a message salad. to Black Flag. Have a salad. <laughs> sleep in a bed if you can. Like just take a shower. Yeah, you know, just take care it's, of yourself. It's amazing how much of your guidelines for tour could be for life as well. Both of you. <laughs> yeah. Take showers, sleep yeah. in beds, avoid eat scabies. vegetables, avoid scabies. Avoid. Scabies. You too can be a successful tour. To be musician. fair, I think yes. it was like a. A mystery dog that was in the house in Louisiana uh-huh. that they played that was like, oh, this cute dog. And then everybody started itching somewhere. They all yeah. they all rolled around with the dog too much. Yeah. This story sounds suspect. I think another thing, too, is like try to communicate all of your issues with people in a timely way and don't let them bubble over. Yeah. And, and try and also remember that at one point you chose to get into a van <laughs> with <laughs> these people because you love them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's easy to forget that. Yeah. You know, I think that's also really important. But, yeah, I think that, like, I mean, I describe it. It's like it's like navigating a romantic relationship with, like, many people. Every Everybody's personality is kind of like, you know, in the, that close of quarters. It's like it is very, very tricky. Have you gotten – do you have any, like, life hacks when you're doing it? Like, do you know I can't bring up an issue – if we still have like a thousand miles to drive, because then if it goes wrong, we're stuck in this van together. Like, Absolutely. do you wait till like the last gas station before you're going? And you're like, by the way, I'm a big fan of the uh, pull aside. Oh, nice. If, yeah, <laughs> especially as like the leader of the band, I sort of have that. I get, I, I can do the pull aside. Um, yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the pulling someone aside and and having like a, I love you so much, but this is a problem and yeah. we need to fix it. Um, and but if you want to get back in this van, <laughs> you're gonna do what I tell you. <laughs> I try to avoid that too. I try to make like I love. I really try and be like kind of like just hyper positive about it because you have to be in a van. Yeah. And and Allison and I literally were just at a radio station and had like we were just inches away from having a Noel Liam Gallagher <laughs> off the rails oh, fight in the middle of this radio station. It was bad. I, yeah, I, I was going to say that what you were describing just in terms of being stuck with someone who you love, but mm-hmm. it can be a little intense. That does sound like a sibling relationship. And so maybe you had a little early practice because yes. 
you have a sibling whom you work with very closely. Right. She she and I are the only ones who ever really get close to actually fighting. Who, <laughs> I don't know if this is like a one-to-one comparison, but if who is Nolan, who is Liam in this situation? It really depends on the day. Yeah, I would have to say. It really depends on the day. Just, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, and I don't want to, like, misrepresent my relationship with Allison. She's my best friend in the whole world. Um, love her more than anybody on the planet. We're um, cutting this whole part. <laughs> you're just going like, to, like, manipulate I didn't stitch it together so that you're like, she's Liam. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I to be fair, I am probably Liam. But I think that, um, yeah, we just, it, it's a lot to, it's a lot to balance. This, yeah. The, you know, we've... Someone described us as uh, twin sisters and longtime friends. <laughs> we are t- in an article. Someone said that. We say it all the time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've known each other our entire lives, and things have shifted, and now she's in my band, and there's a little bit of a de- – that's like a whole thing where, like, I'm mm-hmm. kind of like the boss, and that's that doesn't work all the time. Sometimes <laughs> it does. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's just like a lot – it's a lot to navigate. Which of you is know? older? She is. Two oh. minutes. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, two man. minutes, that's a pop song. You know, <laughs> yeah. who knows what she would have composed. <laughs> I know, right? She had a head start, yeah. <laughs> I think the truth is everybody wants to be Noel long-term, but we all feel like Liam. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, be, well, like being Liam in, like, 1994 would probably be fun, but if you're playing the long game, you kind of want to be Noel, right? Yeah. Right. You just I give good the, quotes. You make perfectly mediocre records. Everybody loves to interview the thing you. Is, you with them time. is that there yeah. isn't a boring one in between the two of them. No. So it's not like you're like, oh, if you're Liam, you're like. No, Paul is the boring one. Paul Gallagher, the, the, old, <laughs> yeah. the older brother that no one talks about. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You want to talk true. more about the Gallagher? I was trying to think of like another Britpop comparison to bring up, but I can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really visualizing. I was like, these people are go- these people at the radio station are going to have a story. Like yeah. they're going to really have a story. We are. Have you we guys ever to- had like a public like meltdown with each other? <laughs> Not yet. Maybe Not yet. someday. <laughs> no. 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 Next time. And by the way, here's Allison. Yeah. Now too. <laughs> no, I, I think we should probably let you go. You've been very generous with your time, Thank and we you don't so want you to much. get in trouble with your sister. Um, <laughs> yeah, making, we're really making Allison sound like she's like really. <laughs> she's she, she's the older one. She's, she's the older one. She's laying down the law. She's yeah. probably laying down the law. Yeah. Um, out in the Storm is out now on Merge Records. You will be hard-pressed to find a better record this year. Thank you. Katie Crutchfield, thank you for being here, and thank yeah, you for so boosting for our hometown. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me. That was Katie Crutchfield from Waxahachie. Andy, uh, out in the Storm, out now. Everybody cop that. Seriously. Spin that at your next party. Uh, let's take a quick second before we go yeah. to talk a little bit about Twin Peaks. Because I was kind of playing the long game. I was hoping Katie was watching yeah, I it. Thought, I thought maybe Katie was up on Thrones, too, but no, no such She's luck. She's just into them deep cult just, leader just books. cult leader books, yeah. <laughs> books on tape books. about cult leaders. Sounds like a fun van. Um, so last night, Chris, was uh, part 12 yeah. of Twin Peaks The Return. I believe there are 18 parts. <laughs> we're, we're, are, you t- are you tired of this yet? Uh, last night was a little bit of a of a challenge. Last night was a tough one. I have because like here's the deal. Like and and I don't know. People may or may not give a shit about how we like wind up watching these, but I think context is important for yeah, shows. You and should stuff. say this. And so like you, I got home at nine. You drove me all the way five minutes out of your way to my neighborhood. It, yeah, and I got home and poured myself a stiff drink, turned on Twin Peaks. Did you? And I was like, the first scene mm-hmm. is very much like. This is what Twin Peaks is about. Mm-hmm. Like, all of it. Here we go. And I was like, oh, shit. And then it was a series of scenes that were essentially like, I we've made this joke before, but it, it, it is like the Will Ferrell scene in Austin Powers where he's yeah. just like, I'm dying down here. <laughs> An all-time scene. Yeah, but it's like each of these scenes go on six minutes longer than normal. And I also like am now at the point where half of the people on the show, I'm kind of not sure if I've seen them before or not. Well, there are a bunch of different shows Happening all at once. And some are more engaging than others. I loved uh, that Dougie appeared just to have his son throw a baseball in his face. (laughs) And that was the only appearance of Kyle McLaughlin in the entire hour. Um, It's interesting that I kind of missed some of the new characters. Like, I was really digging the Mitchum brothers the last two weeks. Belush and, uh, and what's his name? Dude from uh, Nepper, the dude from Prison Break. Like, they're totally new characters to this. And I've really been enjoying that and Candy and that whole thing. I loved it. Um, It's fascinating that one of the major planks of this season is David Lynch as Gordon Cole. That, like, the FBI 
characters who are basically seeking out Dale Cooper, but also playing the Dale Cooper role in the idea of these sort of um, noble weirdos mm-hmm. trying to make sense of a world that simply doesn't make sense. It's Lynch himself having a blast, and you know he's a very engaging performer. Once again, playing these sort of melancholy meta notes with Miguel Ferrer, an actor who passed away since this performance and that scene where he said he worries about him. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, we're forced to have, we have this incongruity of a scene that Peaks Heads have been waiting over a quarter century for, which is basically explaining what blue roses. the Blue Roses are. And by the way, nothing that was told to us was surprising. This is basically what it clearly was. Especially but, after episode eight. But also after, honestly, after the movie, when we were introduced to the idea of a Blue Rose case 25 years ago. But also, um, it's pretty wonderful for him to say, Philip Jeffries, David Bowie's character, Chet Desmond, Chris Isaac's character mm-hmm. from the movie, and Dale Cooper were connected in this. So we have this moment that we've been waiting for as fans, and then we also have uh, Krista Bell in there as Tammy Preston, who, to be charitable, has never acted before. And you can tell. And that's a choice um, to have her in those scenes sort of throwing us off balance again. So we have things that we've we've waited for, and then we have things that we were waiting in a way were tough waits. And specifically, uh, the return of Sherilyn Fenn as Audrey Horn, a character who was a cliffhanger at the end of the original series. Um, there was a bank explosion, and we don't even know if she survived. There was a passing reference to her being in the emergency room. This in this Twin Peaks: mm-hmm. The Return, so we knew she, she survived, but all of a sudden to have her back in this to be charitable, fucking endless scene <laughs> with her husband yeah. on the phone, you know, I, I I will I will honestly be charitable here. I, there were some people reviewing this episode saying that they think that Lynch and Frost enjoy twisting the knife a little bit, making us wait for things, um, not punishing the audience but testing the audience in a way I disagree I think they just take swings can and some of these question? scenes can work this one didn't work do you, you know? think that there's going to be another season no no because surprisingly yeah <laughs> for an 18 hour yeah uh, season they're kind of running out of They've introduced a lot of stuff yeah. that has to get sort of, or not. Halves to, yeah. No, no but you know what? Here's the thing. I wouldn't necessarily think so unless, but he has spent most of the season has answered questions or tied mm-hmm. up loose ends from a show that happened so long mm-hmm. ago that clearly plot is not something he's completely disregarding. No, it, look, you know, there were major things that happened last night where we know that Tim Roth and Jennifer Jason Lee's char- assassin characters are headed to Las Vegas to kill Dougie slash mm-hmm. Cooper. We know from the tattoo on the dead woman's arm that everything is pointed back towards Twin Peaks. We know from the Sarah Palmer scenes that something is still not right in that house. Um, Something's in the house. Something might be in the house. It was the same sound effects whenever Bob was present, the original, on the ceiling fan. And by the way, shouts to Grace Zabriskie, who gave the rawest and in some ways bravest performance in the original and is still just doing the yeah. damn thing. Totally disturbing and 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 discomforting. Um, so we are headed somewhere, and it's just a question of how much we're going to enjoy the ride. And last night, I will give I will give you this. Last night was a tougher one to watch, but it was made okay for me at the end by the appearance of our friend Scott Coffee, who suddenly burst into the scene like the Kool Aid Man as Trick. Right. So he makes the ninth or tenth person yeah, who shows up Scott's at the, the roadhouse and is like. You know who he was the woman he was next to is Anna de la Reguera, who is you may remember from Eastbound and Down season two. I do remember her from Eastbound <laughs> and Down. I don't remember she has no. not been on Twin Peaks previously. No, and nor have any of those characters or any of the characters are talking about, correct? No, it's it's kind of interesting. I don't know what he's doing with this, but because that's like almost like this weird, like it's the OC where it's like a band is playing. Yes. And then he's got like kids talking about I, stuff. I, I wonder if there's something to be said here because what he does seem to be doing with these scenes where there's bands playing, it's the peach pit after dark basically, but the gossipy teens are all 30 plus to middle-aged people gossiping, you know, and there's something about people being stuck in soap operas that he's playing with here, that Lynch and Frost are playing with here, right? That, that Shelly and Bobby... We saw Bobby has become a cop and he's a dignified member of society. And whatever. into uh, Getty. But, but, Baltzar, but yeah. they're still playing these games. Yeah. You know, they're still stuck in this world. And I think there's something, something is being played with there that, but that's the sort of commentary on TV characters and on, you know, the, the, the sort of emotionality of soap operas that I think that's not going to pay off. That's just, he's playing with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm still into it. I don't know whether or not, uh, I think it's just more that, like, I kind of just feel like at this point with the New York, 
the box in the New York apartment with everything that's going on between Laura Dern and characters, you know, yeah, like and evil, you know, everything. It's just like weirdly six hours doesn't seem like enough time to finish it if he's going at this pace. But like, I'm sure I'm sure he knows better than I do. For me, every episode is still magic, not just because of my connection with the show, but because we get we get these grace notes that I think get overshadowed by the weirdness or the bravura artistic takes or the things that just don't work. And um, Richard Bamer has been so great as Ben Horn, even though he's really just been behind a desk and chatting with (laughs) Ashley Judd. Yes, it was a very long scene, but when he said, when he starts talking about the bike his father gave him, that touched me in a way. You know, we said this before, but when Lynch vamps, he vamps very close to the to the bone. Yeah, and I mean, I gotta say, like, for as much as like I'm having uh, entertainment issues, it is sort of touching to watch how much you like this show. Like, I got to be completely honest. I, I can't believe there are only. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I can't believe there's only six hours left. Yeah, it. I'm gonna miss this. I love this. Do you think David Nevins is like? I can't believe there are only. Six. I, no, he's like I can't believe there's six hours. <laughs> like, there's nothing funnier than this interstitial that's being pushed on websites everywhere of Twin Peaks and Ray Donovan because I cannot think of two completely polar, more polar opposite shows. Unless Ray Donovan solves a Blue Rose case, then I'm all in. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday we've got. It'll be me doing a special interview. That's Fantastic. Thursday. That's uh, the folks from Glow, right? Yeah, we've got uh, Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch from and Glow. I'll probably drop in. in to talk about any breaking news, any any breaking Casablanca's news. Scaramucci getting rehired. All right, until then, talk to you soon. Good job, Fritz. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by HBO's Room 104 from the creators and executive producers Mark and Jay Duplass. Comes a new anthology series called Room 104 Fridays at 11.30 p.m. on HBO set in a single room of an average American motel. Each episode of Room 104 tells the story of different assorted characters who pass through it with performances by James Vanderbeek, Jay Duplass, and Orlando Jones. Each episode plays like a mini movie, ranging from comedy to drama to horror. The tone, the characters, and the era all change from week to week. One Room Infinite Possibilities, Room 104, Fridays at 11.30 p.m. on HBO. Today's episode of The Watch was also brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Things change. The weather changes. Your mood definitely changes. So why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking Hotel Tonight gives you free the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing you'll have a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app and find some seriously amazing deals now.